Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Corinthians. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Do you know true joy? True joy is separate from following God. It's ridiculous to believe that without God and absolutes, there is no real point to life. We can make ourselves happy. It's short-sighted to believe that Christ is the exclusive way to God and happiness. Find joy apart from God. No human is able to seek God and know Him. No one who follows Christ has joy. They're lying to you if they say God desires you to have joy. No one can follow God and be happy. Don't believe them when they say people really can have meaning to their lives. It's all about you. It's a lie when they say it's all meaningless. Afford time for excessive leisure. Make a name for yourself. Acquire lots of possessions. Get a great paying job. Increase your education beyond any of your peers. They claim to know what matters most. They don't understand. It's pointless. On your own, you'll find unknown and inconceivable happiness. The godly are designed for a life of hypocrisy. A wasted life. Listen to what you'll have without God. There can be joy in eating and drinking and living life. You can think and dream and plan. With God, there's no happiness. Don't listen when they say, we were made to make much of God. If someone really loves you, they make much of you. Don't believe the distortion that God cares about you, a tiny speck in the universe. There is such a thing as reality. And it's exactly the opposite. There is such a thing as reality. 
cares about you, a tiny speck in the universe. Don't believe the distortion that if someone really loves you, they make much of you. We were made to make much of God. Don't listen when they say, with God, there's no happiness. You can think and dream and plan. There can be joy in eating and drinking and living life. Listen to what you'll have without God. A wasted life. A life of hypocrisy. The godly are designed for unknown and inconceivable happiness. On your own, you'll find it's pointless. They don't understand. They claim to know what matters most. Increase your education beyond any of your peers. Get a great paying job. Acquire lots of possessions. Make a name for yourself. Afford time for excessive leisure. It's all meaningless. It's a lie when they say it's all about you. People really can have meaning to their lives. Don't believe them when they say no one can follow God and be happy. God desires you to have joy. They're lying to you if they say no one who follows Christ has joy. Seek God and know Him. No human is able to find joy apart from God. Christ is the exclusive way to God and happiness. It's short-sighted to believe that we can make ourselves happy. There is no real point to life without God and absolutes. It's ridiculous to believe that true joy is separate from following God. Do you know true joy? That's fantastic. Do we know true joy? Let's pray. Father, we desire more than anything else that as a congregation we experience deep joy. Father, you have given us paths to what that looks like as we walk with you. Father, guide us in that journey as we experience joy. Amen. I think if we don't experience real joy, it's probably because we rob ourselves of that joy. Joy is not something that's surfacy. It's something that's deep inside. It's a deep sense of satisfaction that we don't produce. It's produced by the Holy Spirit while we focus on following Christ. All those elements are important. It's not surface. It's not something that we can produce. And you cannot experience it if we don't focus on the living Christ. We desire, as we look at these passages in the book of Philippians, that when we have strong relationships with one another, real strong relations, strong bonds with each other, we experience this sense of peace. It's important, our perspective of choosing to be joyful. It's a perspective. And the importance of dealing with anxiety as we deal with so much anxiety in life, as we deal with that through prayer. And next week, we'll look at contentment. But this week, we're going to look at right living. Right living starts with right thinking. And if our patterns aren't in tune with the purposes and the plans of God, if we are perpetually in a pattern of sin, we cannot expect to experience joy. It's just that simple. Because the Holy Spirit is blocked in his ability to give us that inner sense of joy. Thinking right 
goes along with living right. In that great passage of Philippians 4 that was just read, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, uh, admirable, praiseworthy, think on such things. Think on such things. This passage talks about our focus. And as we think about our life, are these the kinds of things that we think about in our daily experience? You know, that passage in Romans is the, is the most significant passage, I think, in the whole Bible. Because it highlights that everything flows from God's mercy and grace. Everything we have, everything we become, everything flows from the mercy and grace of God. And we have to grab a hold of that in our lives. The powerful message of grace and mercy that God extends to us. And that is a re- as a result, he just simply says, as I have given my life for you embodied in the cross, I ask that you would just simply return that by giving your life that we can journey together. But then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you might prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The world that we live in, much of it wants to conform us. It, wants to, it really means squeeze us into their own mold, in their own mode. Let me tell you something. The best thing we can do as leadership in the context of the church is this, is to teach us and teach you to be countercultural Christians. I'm not talking about anti-culture. I'm talking about being countercultural Christians. That's the best thing that we can do, and the best thing to do is energize us to realize that we have to be countercultural as we approach life. And I've found this to be true in my life. As we grow as Christians, we become less concerned about what people think and we be more concerned about what God thinks. It's taken a long time in my life to come to the point where I think I'm making progress because I am more concerned about what God thinks and I could care less in a good sense about what other people think. My life is not governed by what other people think. There were two churches in Revelation that were faithful to God in the midst of of great persecution and challenges. But there were two churches, Pergamum and Thyatira, were known as tolerant churches. And what they did is very readily just give in to the culture, adopting the culture's values and say, we can do that and and also have our allegiance to Christ. Or we can have people in the context of church that are teaching things that are so destructive, but that's okay. And Jesus, the Savior, had a strong message for them. To follow Jesus in many ways runs counter to the values of the world around us. The world that we live in, folks, and the systems of this world, the kingdoms of this world other than the kingdom of God, there are not expressions of the kingdom of God. The book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, all human systems and all human institutions are called Babylon. They are not the kingdom of God. And we have an expectation that they're the kingdom of God, we get ourselves into great trouble. There's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, but we live out the kingdom of God, guided by Christ into the world. Paul says we demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought obedient to Christ. We have the ideal. Every thought. The father of transcendentalism, Ralph Waldo Emerson, says, beware of what you set your mind on because you surely will become. And I think that's so true. Did you realize that the average person has 10,000 separate thoughts each day? 
They've estimated 10,000 separate thoughts each day, 3.5 million per year. It's amazing. Betty Shalali says, two thoughts cannot occupy the mind at the same time, so the choice is ours whether our thoughts will be constructive or destructive. Ray Pritchard identifies four most prominent negative thoughts that poison the mind and ultimately the soul. Self-pity, blaming each other, that becomes a progression. Unwillingness to change and anger and bitterness. But that's not where we want to land. That's not where we want to be, this life that God gives us with great freedom to experience it with him. What do we fill our minds with? As this Philippians passage talks about. But where do we get the content of our right thinking? Where do we get the content in this world that gives us our right thinking? And I think as people of faith who are in the tradition of the church and tradition of our denomination, we recognize that the Bible is the source of truth for us. The Bible is a central core of church, of, of, of our lives. It's, 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 it gives us how, what life looks like, the parameters. It gives us authority in our lives. And we are people that constantly ask the question, where are things written? And our forefathers have asked that question in this denomination, and we ask the question often, and we need to with one another. What's the narrative, and where is it found? And the Bible gives us that core truth, recognizing that there is much truth that's in the world. But the Bible gives us this core truth in our lives. I'm not a big fan of religion. I'm a big fan of authentic Christianity. Religion often expands laws and regulations to control people, while Jesus, he says, my burden that I give to you is not heavy. I give you great freedom, but I want you to use that freedom wisely. I give you freedom, but there's boundaries, and they're for your good. What is the narrative of the sacred scriptures is the question for us each day. Watch out for false narratives that masquerade as true and distort the scriptures for their own purposes. Oh, I long for people of modern-day Martin Luther's who before a hostile religious authorities, he said, you must show me in the holy scriptures where I have erred. If not, I stand on the sacred word. I can do no other God help me. Folks, it's so easy when it comes to our thinking, to be squeezed into a mold. And we want, in contrary to that, we want to live unashamedly in union with Christ. The Bible sets up for us a central, a central worldview that gives us guidance. And all truth that exists is God's truth. We're not into a culture, but truth is what we need to be discerning, to guide us as great interpreters of the Bible. Paul faced much challenges as he articulates this letter at the particular time that he lived. And the question often among even Christian people was, is, the, is, is, is people more of Plato or are they more of Paul in their lifestyles? Are they governed by the teachings of the Apostle Paul or are they governed more by the teachings of Plato? And I don't want to go into that. I don't have time. But the question I want us to think about is the questions that he asks. Pause for a moment. Is it true? Is it not only the question of truth, but also it has a nuance, this word of just. Is it just? Does it meet the standard of God's righteousness? Does it reflect the very character of God embodied in Jesus? Jesus came and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he gives us an incredible example of what it looks like. What does truth look like embodied? In our life, as we think about life and as we think, is it noble 
Do you often think about your thoughts as being noble? Is it honorable? Is it worthy of reverence? Do you ponder things that are, that are serious in purpose? Noble seriousness. Is it right? Does our belief seem truthful? Does it meet God's standard righteousness? It rules out dishonesty, untruth, and unreliability. Folks, there's so much false narratives. Today in the world around us, it seems like there is so much false narratives. But as people of faith, we're not about that. We want a true narrative rooted in Christ. Is it pure? What is undefiled and clean and holy? Holy purity in our thinking. How many times when I was growing up when we were teenagers, somebody said, get your mind out of the gutter. And that was a statement made because the minds were in the gutter. And we know the scourge of pornography, which makes people think unclean and unholy. Is it lovely? Things that a grace attracts. Our thinking, things that grace attracts. Pleasing to God, not dwelling on what's evil. It is admirable that speaks well of the thinker. Our thoughts, if heard by others, should be commendable. It is something God would approve, and that's something that all the questions converge. Paul raises the question, and we have to say, what would Jesus think? Transform our thinking. We need to analyze our inputs that we have in life. Many of the inputs we have are destructive. I hated that question. My mom used to ask that question when I was growing up. Mark, what are you thinking about? What are you going to get involved in, in my experience? But it's really true. It's really true. Examine the influences of your friends very, very carefully. Resist the mode of conformity which is so strong. Bathe yourself in the scriptures. Bathe yourself in the scriptures. I had a conversation with a friend the other day, and we were talking about the importance, and he was having such challenges in his life. And, and we talked about the importance of, he said, well, I'm not really much in the scriptures these days. And how can you frame and deal with all the tensions we face if we're not engaged in the scriptures constantly? And remember, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. And it's offered to us is the repentance is the answer. Always to us is the ability to be able to change. And God is so incredibly gracious to us. All he wants is to journey with us. A deep desire to follow Jesus and a helpful, helpful, healthy recognition that you can only change by the transforming power of the living Christ. Whatever you have learned, he said, received and heard of me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Ray Pritchard says, if you link yourself with Jesus Christ, you are joined with the highest moral power in the universe. When Jesus reigns in our life, we will love, love, we will love the lovely and hate the ugly. Today, we desire more than anything else in this series that we're covering that we will experience peace and joy, and it deals a lot with what we think. But that hope ultimately is found in the cross. It's found in Christ. It all flows from what he has done for us. It all flows from our relationship to the living Christ.